0: Welcome to a Memorial Day special of Earning Their Stripes. This is Danny Martinez alongside Ian Smith and Ethan Badowski. On today's episode, we'll take a look at how the Marlins may handle the eventual promotions of Brinson, Monte Harrison, and Isan Diaz. We also have a special guest joining us as Ethan and Eli, our managing editor, sat down with Jordan Yamamoto for a conversation that you won't want to miss. That'll be coming your way shortly. But first, Ethan, Ian, congrats on the Gators, man. How do you, how do you like where they're at?
1: Uh, I, I like know. it better than some places we could have ended up, man. But, I don't know, this year was tough. So, I'm just happy to be in the tournament at this point uh, because exactly. we had a a down year. But the future looks bright. A, a couple guys like Fabian and Cali Lau that I would love to see in the Marlins system eventually. Um, but, yeah, I'm just happy we're in, honestly.
2: Yeah, I mean, if we can get a couple good starts in this first in this first regional, we could uh, maybe make a little noise, but I'm just really happy to be in the tournament. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really about it. I really wasn't expecting to see it, and then I saw everybody mocking it that we are going to make it, and I was got kind of excited, but didn't want to get my hopes up. But I'll take the draw. I mean, if we can get past this first one, we'll see something.
1: Yeah, the draw is not bad. I mean, Texas Tech is the top seed, and then if we get, like, you know, Oklahoma State in the next round or something, it's better than – running into like a ucla or somebody really really good like that absolutely
0: yeah the, the canes even for the season they had i mean starksville is tough you to have to start yeah. there uh, you Oof. know it
2: it's a, it's a tough it's a tough draw so
0: you know i'll leave it at that but at least both of our uh we have horses in the race basically but no
2: no regionals no, really. in florida this year which is crazy mm-hmm. that is
1: crazy that's crazy
2: All right, let's go ahead and jump into
0: it. We only have around 20 minutes because we're going to have Jordan come on a little bit later on. But there's this really uh, riveting conversation, which I'm sure is going to have a lot of meat to it. Because quite frankly, I know Ethan's been talking about it online. I've been speaking about it. I'm sure Ian has been speaking about it. It is this beautiful revelation that's happening down in New Orleans right now, where the guys that we need to see performing, because they're the ones knocking at the door, are doing so. I won't go into the numbers because I like the guys dissect that. But Isan Diaz, Monte Harris, and Lewis Brinson are all performing out of their minds right now. And we're seeing some of the changes that we wanted to see happen from them. So really, this conversation is just going to be about two pieces. One, I want y'all to dissect what they're doing, their performance and their success. And then I want to... F- Finish shit up kind of with a concept of how we would handle their promotions because that's what everyone's asking i mean even joe for is getting into it right about well Br- brinson being down there is, is a waste of time or brinson should be called up once monte coming up whatever the case is so you know first let's disseminate the numbers but what an impressive impressive trio the way that they're performing right now
1: yeah i mean if if joe You know, if the promotions went the way Joe does, and I like Joe, and I wish, you know, he wouldn't bicker with us so much. But, um, you know, if he, if the promotions went the way he did, then Brinson would just go right back into it because he's still uh, struggling with the strikeout. I mean, his strikeout rate just dipped under 30% after yesterday's game. He's down to 28 now, which if we continue seeing that get around, you know, maybe like 25, 26, um, really isn't that terrible. but he still needs to work on the strikeout, and he still has a lot of work left to do. Um, but he's absolutely raking right now. I mean, he was going to be the guy, you know, if we weren't having this big discussion I was going to talk about in things we love to see. Um, but, I mean, over his last 10 days, these numbers right here are just ridiculous, uh, slugging 775, not striking out at a very high clip. And the thing I really like to see um, so far is that this entire time that he's been in A, he's been walking um you know his walk rate in the majors was like two percent or something um more maybe more like three percent but now he's got it up at 10 on the dot it was sitting at eight for a while um but he drew two walks yesterday and i just think that goes to show that his pitch recognition um is better and that might just have to do with you know triple a pitching not being the quality of mlb pitching that it is um but to see him recognizing pitches and laying off and being able to take pitches and working good ABs. Uh, The other night he worked like a 10, 11 pitch AB where he finished with an RBI single. And that just goes to show you that he's just working and recognizing pitches and being able to fight off and, you know, until he gets his pitch and is able to do something with his pitch and just the power numbers have really been there for him. Um, So, you know, everybody's going to knock him because the K rate is still high and everybody's still, you know, not going to give him a ton of credit, but I think what he's doing is really good because he could have gone to triple a and struggled and just not have been good. Um, and, and hit the way that he did in triple a and double a last year, which was just not great on his rehab assignment. So the fact that he's raking and he's showing, he's making contact and drawing walks and hitting for power. Um, shows that he's doing something right and i think it's a it's a very big positive what he's doing right now
2: i, I i'll agree with that 100 percent. i think a big thing about what brinson's doing in triple a right now is he's going into this assignment with the confidence last mm-hmm. year he really didn't win his rehabs he really didn't go into that trying to change anything he had the same approach as he did in the majors and led to the same results he's realizing that he needs to go about things differently in this in this time around and it's showing uh, the walk rate, like like Ethan said, is fantastic. I w- watched him w- work a walk last night in the ninth. That were two pitches on the black, just off the black that he sat on and took took a walk and put us in a position to win the game. Unfortunately, we didn't. But it was just exciting to see. I mean, that's something I'm I'm not used to seeing out of Lewis. So seeing that even at triple eight is exciting. And the other two guys, I mean, what more can we say about Asan? He's tearing the yeah. cover off the ball right now. It's 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 stupid. I mean before yesterday he was on a five straight homer homer week the last 10 days he's hitting 442 with an OPS of 529 I mean it's dumb. he's striking out only 17% and walking 13% he's he's being the machine that we we expect him to be and it's exciting to see I mean same thing with Monte 455 on base right now the last
1: 10 days that's that's absurd Eighteen point two walk percentage, man. I it's mean, it's a, yeah, like long, you know. Yeah, you can and tell that, that his approach has really changed. And, um, you know, the Ks are still high, and that's always going to be the thing with Monte is can he get those Ks down? And that's what's going to limit him from, you know, when we get into this discussion about when to call him up. That's going to be what limit, limits him ultimately from getting called up right away. But, I mean, all three guys have just been on it recently. I mean, absolutely tremendous.
0: Yeah, and, and I'll touch on what Ethan was talking about with Lewis. You go online, and, and everyone is always um, – Basically, you're looking for this miraculous, like, 15% K rate. Like, that's what people want to see from him, apparently, right? That and, of course, the, oh, he has to hit the the breaking ball, the off-speed. And I understand all of that. I get that, which is why minor league numbers can be skewed if you're only looking at the box score. I fully understand it. But the reality is that this man who got demoted is doing every single thing. And now the K rate is dipping a little bit, even if it's as mediocre as just below 30%. There there are signs there, like you said, and you kind of joked that he could have gone down. He could have sucked. He could have sucked. And then we would have been in yeah. a real difficult situation where all of us are having and himself included to look at a complete revamp. Now, does this say that when he comes back up now, he's going to be able to generalize this? No, none of us know this. Right. But what's the purpose of trying to minimize success? Uh, he yeah. went down there. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He's walking more, which for me is actually more interesting than him dipping his K. I understand that people think those always go one-to-one, but it doesn't. You could take a lot of walks and make a lot of contact and not have the K. It's not a one-to-one formula. I'm happy that his walk rate is going up. I'm happy that even if it's just at 28%, the K is going down, and he's hitting for power. He's hitting for power, and it's something that we're seeing all three of them do, and it's exciting. And what happens with that is when you have continuous success the way that these three do, then we start talking about promotions. We start talking about when they are are supposed to come up, when we would want them to come up. And you have a lot of differing opinions on that in the media and as fans, and I'm sure anyone who's tuned into Marlins baseball. So then let's transition to that. What and, and I'll actually start off with Ethan, because you and Luke Simpson, mm-hmm. um, a really great baseball mind and fan um, on Twitter, both had the same concept of when you would promote these three players let talk a little bit about that concept
1: yeah i'm i'm in no rush to get these guys up to the bigs to be honest with you i mean i know that there's you know there's nothing going on at at, <clears throat> at the big league level right now and you know we all w- want to see the most exciting guys and that's you know why we were all so impatient to get harold up and you know look at what harold's doing right now he's been tremendous since he's been called up um but for these guys um I'm really in no rush to get them up because I think if you let them sit, you know it's like what we talked about earlier this year with McNair Sierra. Um, if if you just kind of let these guys sit and marinate and and get really confident in what they're doing and show that you know LB's at a hundred um, plate appearances right now on the dot. Um, this in, in triple a. And I think that's good. And that's, you know, an indicator usually around a hundred, 150 ABs is when you look at a guy and you say, okay, this is the type of season that they're going to have. So at a hundred, you know, a hundred plate appearances, 85 ABs, whatever, um, you know, you can kind of start to make an assessment of what the guy's going to do. So at this point you can kind of say like, he might, you know, up if he's been doing this for 100 plate appearances now and he's raking i mean his slash line is tremendous but i think we need to let him marinate a little bit with this and obviously the big thing is we have to see the strikeout rate go down i mean if you look at his peripherals right now like his his walk rate is up 7.6 percent from um the major leagues this year to um his time in triple a and his strikeout percentage is down 6.1 percent that's a really nice improvement um but you still you know the major league average is somewhere around like 22 percent i think and so you know it's not terrible like 28 you, you can deal with it because look at that slash line. I mean, 306, 410, 543. His OPS is at 963, uh, 139 one uh, weighted runs created plus. I mean, he's been, tr- he's been really good in AAA. But let him be really good for really long so that he comes back to the major leagues with the confidence that he's raking with. And then also, you know, with Isan and Monte, Monte's got to get the Ks down. And Nisan, it's the same kind of thing. Just you know, he's been raking for two or three weeks now, but he was really struggling to start the season. I mean, the average at one point was below the Mendoza line. So, you know, like I said, it's just keep marinating. And and I wouldn't be mad at all if these guys don't come up until the M L uh, the minor league season is over. Really,
2: I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel like I would have to agree on that, but I don't think it's what's going to happen. Um with Harold playing center field as much as he is right now and Birdie being on DL, if, if Brinson keeps raking like this for say, another week or two, I think they're going to bring him up. I mean, honestly, uh, it's just it's just what, it's what they want to see and what the roster is calling for right now. It's, I mean, Harold's playing good ball in center field, but it's not what he needs to be doing. And what we're sending out, like, we can't send Roselle out there every night. So I think if he keeps do- doing this for another week or two, he could be up. With Monte and Hassan, uh, I think I don't think we're gonna see Asan for a while, maybe August, like I talked about earlier in the in the season, but um he's tearing the cover off the ball, so you never know. But you can't you're not gonna bring him up to not play him. So as long as Starlin's on the roster, then we're not gonna see Hassan. Um, I mean in my eyes. Why were we gonna bring the kid up to let him sit on the bench?
0: Right. Yeah, and and I think in a perfect world, um in a perfect world where you can control a bunch of factors, you can almost bring all three of them up together. And this is what I was alluding to that Ethan mm-hmm. kind of said um, and Luke as well. You let them marinate. And whenever the minor league season exactly, you just reiterated, finishes, you bring them all up together. There's a level of coherence that comes with that. There's a, just a level of unity. They're they're playing well together. We know that they, you know, they were raised in the same system. Whatever the case is, mm-hmm. there's something about that. But I do agree that it's likely going to be closer to what Ian said just because of roster construction, right? I'm Mr. Roster Construction, the whole Gallon versus Hernandez situation. I see the same thing happening here. So just like, just like Ian said, there's an issue at center field. Harold Ramirez is fantastic. He's still playing out of position. there Herrera isn't going to be able to do much with the bat. As soon as Lewis Brinson shows maybe a week or two more, he'll probably be called up. After July 31st, Arlen Castro is maybe not on the roster anymore. You would imagine Isan Diaz gets called up. And then I would imagine that Monte is the last person that gets called up sometime in September um, with roster uh, expansion or whatever the case may be. That's the way that I would see it happen from a roster construction standpoint. It doesn't mean that that's what I would personally have wanted to happen. I would have loved to have some center field depth that we could really let Brinson marinate and something that's a little bit different. But I also want to see at some point these guys I know no one wants to actually see this but when they stop hitting the way that they're hitting the last 10 days the last two weeks I want to see uh how they bounce back and that counts a little bit more for Monte and Isan than it does for Lewis but I want to see what's happening when they go to the ballpark and they're not slashing out of their mind every single night and when they're not having this kind of run production and this kind of success um Just because to me, that's always going to be a mental hurdle. And I mean, that's what we're talking about with Princeton. we're talking about approach and we're talking about the mental side of the game. So I I do, I empathize with Ethan's standpoint on this. And I think that eventually Ian's standpoint is what's going to happen just from a roster construction uh, point of view. Yeah.
1: so just touch on that one point Danny about um bouncing back like we've seen Monte have an over 4 with three strikeouts or and you know an over with a bunch of strikeouts um and we've seen him the next night come back and you know go two for four with a double or something like that. I think there was a recent example where he went 0 for four and then he had a, like a three for four the next night or something with a home run. So um, he he's shown the ability to bounce back and he's shown the ability to adjust at each level. And Isan's done the same thing. Isan yeah. struggled uh, at the beginning of the year last year in Jacksonville. And then he was really, really good after he came off the DL. Uh, he struggled a lot uh, this year in, in, New Orleans. Yeah, he was probably the worst hitter on the team for the first month. Yeah, he's a slow starter. Yeah. Yeah, his his OPS was like in the 500s. His one, average one extra base down, hit. Yeah, his average was down below 200 and then now he's got the average up around like 270. Uh it might be not as high after yesterday's 0 for 4, but um you know, these Great. guys have shown the ability to adjust. Brinson started slow um in new orleans and he's been raking ever since so yeah these guys have shown the ability to adjust the only thing i would say and i understand why lb is probably up in a week or two the only thing i'd say is there's a high possibility that after only a month and you know not even 150 plate appearances or ab's or however you want to judge it you know um that he just goes right back into the same spiral that we saw him before. And that's what I'm concerned about with these short stints where you only send him down because you have to send him down. You know, I understand that there's a hole in center field right now, but We should be more worried about Brinson's development than a defensive need in center field because the games just don't matter right now, really. You know what I mean? So if you want to look at long-term and really care about the development of Brinson, I think that the best option is to leave him down for a while. That's just my opinion. Um, But, you know, that's the way I see it, and that's why I say – call them all up when we get to September, except I guess Isan would have to come up if Starlin is off the roster after the trade deadline.
0: Do you guys envision at all any any option or any reality out there where these three are not starting opening day next year?
1: No. No. I think all three of them are starting. 100%, yeah.
0: Because, I mean, you know, obviously there's the chance that they, you know, they fall off, whatever the case is, right? But if we're talking about probability, we have to feel relatively comfortable that next year, wherever we are on opening day, whether it's home or away, Isan's going to be Manning second. Who -hmm. do you think's Manning center? Lewis? And then... Monte right
1: yeah. or would you would you of, change that? Arm strength. I would probably put Monte in right field. I think Monte ends yeah. up, you know, with the current construction of the roster and the way things play down in the in the minors, I think Monte is gonna end up being a major league right fielder. Um but yeah, I mean even if we see LB regress to the mean a little bit and maybe Monte slows down and Isan slows down, which I don't see out of all three of those guys, I don't see Isan slowing down because he's the see. one that's getting hot. Um I think all three of them still, just because of the way, like you said, Danny Ronister construction, I think all three of them are in Miami on opening day. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I
0: agree. That was something that was posed um, last week, and I just couldn't even fathom a way that it wouldn't be the case really i just think even with their age they're this next upcoming year is the year they're supposed to be there um and it's nice to at least see that right now they're performing in that fashion all right so another person that's performing that fashion is about to join us jordan yamamoto has been pitching out of his mind um and we're excited that he's going to be able to come on ian and i actually are not able to be a part of this interview but ethan and eli held it down so without further ado here's jordan yamamoto
3: Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is Eli Sussman, your managing editor here at Fish Stripes, making a rare podcast appearance. I'm joined by Ethan Badowski. We have a special guest this week. He is Hawaii's own Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp right-hander Jordan Yamamoto, one of the top pitching prospects in the Marlins organization that is stacked with pitching talent. He's going to talk to us about his success on the field, how he got here in the first place, what he looks forward to in the future, interests off the field, and so much more. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Oh, yeah, no problem. Thank
3: you for having me. And speaking right before Memorial Day weekend, a lot of people will be listening to this after the holiday weekends. But your most recent start was one of your best as a pro. You went seven no-hit innings, a career-high 107 pitches, just that one walk. And uh, it probably doesn't feel all that special to you because, I mean, you've had so many of these dominant starts since the Marlins acquired you but it was the longest no-hit bid of your pro career so far. I mean, is there anything specific that worked for you more than usual in that game, a certain pitch or just your overall commands? I mean, what do you think explains why you were so successful in that game on Monday?
4: Um, it was definitely command and execution. I mean, uh, Montgomery was a very great a great hit hitting team, uh, a bunch of guys who, who can swing the bat very well. So, I mean, in my game plan and, you know, just talking to my catcher, uh, we just we, – we, we just – went after them, um, executed pitches down in the zone and up in the zone when I had to, moved in and out, and then um, softened it and, and hardened it when when I had to, and that was the key to I think, um, breaking down their lineup.
1: Jordan, uh, you talk about command and execution, and I think that's what makes you so great because you know, this stuff might not jump off the page at you. I've called you the Kyle Hendricks of this organization. Um, what, what, who, who do you model your game after? What are your influences in baseball and who might you compare your game to?
4: Um, That's funny. Cause you're about the third person who actually said that to me that I, I follow <laughs> Kyle Hendricks. I, mean, I, I, I watch his videos after a couple of the mm-hmm. people told me. So, I mean, it's, it's very similar. I mean, I've watched a bunch and I'm going to try to learn from that. But for the most part, I don't really have an idol in baseball, you know, like Mm -hmm. I I try to be my own person um, and and do my own thing.
3: Yeah. One thing I want to get into um, with the Hendricks comp is that he's most known for his changeup. And a lot of the pro evaluators that I've heard from would say that's your best pitch, at least moving up through the system and eventually something that would translate at the highest level. Is that something you agree with? Would you say your changeup is what you're most comfortable in? If you're really in a jam, like runner on third, less than two outs, and you really need a strikeout or soft contact, is that the pitch you trust most
4: in that situation? Yeah, I mean, recently it's been coming to that. Um... Um, At first, when my curveball wasn't working at the beginning of this year, my slider really wasn't working. I would go to my changeup more often than not, where I would get ground balls, um, where it would get me out of jams, double plays, and all that stuff. Um, When I needed an early count out, I could throw that. And, I mean, it it worked very well. But um, the last game since I brought my curveball and my slider just came back, uh, I just said throw it. And now it's better. It's it's working a lot better because now I have all four pitches rather than just a fast one and a changeup. So, I mean, either way, I mean, it's just it's just a matter of, like like I said earlier, controlling or commanding and executing all all, all my pitches. And I think that's really helps because you guys like you guys say, like I'm not a power pitcher. I don't nothing really pops off the page. And uh, it's just a matter of command. And I have to really be fine with 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 where I throw my pitches.
1: Jordan, you've put up some really sick strikeout numbers, especially last year. You had some games with some really, really high strikeout numbers. Despite, you know, not – not and then recently you haven't had some of the higher strikeout numbers ever. Does it feel good to be able to know that you don't have to get guys out with the strikeout and you can, you know, force ground balls and, and all that kind of stuff and not necessarily have to look for the strikeout
4: at all times and still be effective? Yes. I mean, it, it's always nice to see that, that strikeout rate go up. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, um, I'm not – this year at least, I'm not really a strikeout pitcher. Um, the batters are getting a lot better. Um, they're just hard to learn me more because they have more video on me and all that stuff. But for me, it's I've talked to my coordinators and my pitching coaches. It's more I'm more of a weak contact pitcher. I'm not a very big strikeout pitcher anymore. It's more of just hey, here here's the pitch I want you to hit and um, go hit it. You know, do do what mm-hmm. you can with with my pitch instead of. I send them me throwing a pitch, and and they take and they take it, and they wait for their pitch. You know, so now I'm I'm trying to make them hit the pitches that I want them to hit.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you make those adjustments in Arizona this year, like from one year to another, or what? You know, what kind of things were you looking at in Arizona this fall?
4: Um, Arizona too was where I started to realize that like the hitters are getting a lot better. Um, mm-hmm. I can't just blow it by guys anymore. So I, my strikeouts went down a little bit. Uh, I I mean. It's just how it is. It's the nature of the game. But then I came to spring training thinking I could strike everybody out, and it did not go all that well for me um, in Mm -hmm. in the minor league side of spring training. I had to roll a bunch of innings um, because I would walk, guys, because I would get hit all over the place. So I talked to my coordinator, and I was like, really, what's going on, you know? And and he said, you're trying to be someone you're not. You're you're trying to Mm -hmm. blow by, guys. You're trying to do this, trying to do that. But he said, in reality, you're a weak contact pitcher. That's all you need to pitch to is weak contact. Mm -hmm. Make guys off-balance um, off, balance, off balance swings, and, and you'll be fine.
3: Hmm. Yeah, Jordan, if you go out pitching that way, then, uh, of course, your defense has to be involved a little bit. And from what we've noticed, Jacksonville really has played some great defense behind you. When you're on the mound, only one earner, unearned run allowed this entire season. Uh, 50% of the base stealers that try to steal against you get thrown out. So for those listeners that don't get to watch every game from the shrimp that closely or don't follow them uh, – which of your particular teammates do you want to highlight that are fielding well behind you and letting you be successful
4: i mean our our defense from top to bottom from left field to, to right field from catcher to the shortstop to, to everybody it's a, it, it's an unbelievable i mean defense we got and and i said this from the beginning of the year that our defense is solid like Bryson break me is it a follow with me um he's just nasty like laughing he making an unbelievable play um mm-hmm. sliding up uh, into, like, behind second base and making the, the play. We have Joe at third base. He, he does both now, short and third base. Just having the depth of infield and outfield that we have, the speed that we have, is is very crucial to, to my pitching because now I'm not really a out pitcher anymore. So now I have to trust my defense a lot more than I used to. And uh, now I can let the ball – I can throw the ball in the middle of the plate, let them hit the ball, and I can trust that my defense ha- has my bat, which is a which is a great feeling as a pitcher. Um to see, and I mean, it, and that's why our pitching staff is doing so great uh, because of our defense. I mean, if we had a different defense, I think it'd be a different story for our pitching staff. We wouldn't be throwing up this two-year A or three-year A for the month of May, you know? So I really think that there's really no one to really highlight, but everybody. Everybody's doing their part, and even the bench guys, I mean, when, when they have to come into the game and double switch or pinch it, you know, like they're all do, doing their job, and, and they're all Um, doing their part to, to help us win you talked about the success
1: your pitching staff has been having in jacksonville this year but jacksonville is definitely not the only uh pitching staff in this organization having success i mean there's talent everywhere in this organization how much does it help you to be around talent not just in jacksonville But the guys that are in New Orleans, the guys that are in Clinton and the guys that are in Jupiter, especially with such a loaded uh, rotation in Jupiter, you know, being around those guys in the spring, how much does that contribute to your success? And how fun is it to be a part of this kind of uh, uh, system with so much pitching talent up and down?
4: Oh, it's an awesome feeling. I mean, you know, just having that um, inner inner competitiveness um, between us, um, like – team competitiveness where we have, like, this thing where, okay, we want to do better than, like, it's not like Mm -hmm. uh, we want to root against someone. It's more of a, hey, let's beat each other at doing this and get better and better at it, you know. So, Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things, seeing seeing the guys in AAA um, do good, like, what we want to do as a pitch staff down here is even do do good too so that maybe one of us uh, or a couple of us can can even move up when the time Mm -hmm. arrives, you know. It's just one of those things that you have the competitiveness between all the levels and you just want to be, Good. You don't want to. You don't want to technically wish upon someone to do bad or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's more of a hey, let's do good because at the end of the day, one of the greatest lessons that I've learned from from a bunch of players is that if you're a big league pitcher, you're going to pitch in the big leagues. You know, it's not that mm-hmm. you you're not pitching for the Miami Marlins. You're you're pitching for all thirty teams. And if someone wants you, it's almost going to get you. You know, it's not just. Mm-hmm. Hey, I hope you do better. I hope you get hurt, you know, like because there are those there are those guys out there, and it's just life. And I mean, they're gonna wish bad upon people so that they can do good. But the way the pitching staffs are here, in the uh, mm-hmm. from high a to W to AAA, it's more of a hey, what can we do to better each other, so that mm-hmm. we can all achieve our ultimate goal of getting to, to the big leagues, you know? And and that's what that's I think awesome. is really helping all the pitching staffs um, to to really further their career and further their, and better their stats um, because they want to have that inner competitiveness between each other.
1: What, what kind of relationship do you have with guys across these systems? Because there's so much talent. And we talked to Trevor Rogers about this a couple weeks ago. You know, H- How aware are you of what's going on with this rebuild and how the guys are doing across systems? And what is the relationship with, like, with guys that are playing in AAA and in Jupiter and everything like that?
4: Um, I, I don't really talk to ga- those guys much. Um, mm-hmm. but like, I, I just actually talked to Isan last night. Um, but mm-hmm. like, I, I I do text a couple guys here and there about their pitching. Like, uh, what's it called? I was talking to Mejia, uh, mm-hmm. the one from Clinton, Clinton yeah. did six Perfect innings. Uh, a couple nights ago, and we we're just talking and like, I was just telling him c- congrats on that, you know, and. Um, we were comparing lines, and, I, and he was like, like, you did really good. I was like, no, nah, but your line is a lot better. So <laughs> it's one of the that we have, that competitiveness between the uh, – even, even that down to Lowy, you know. It's just mm-hmm. having that relationship, even with the young – because I've been a part of um, teams or organizations where, like, it's kind of like uh, unwritten rule to not talk to the higher level, you know. But I don't want to mm-hmm. be like that. I don't want to have – I don't want to make the younger guys feel – or the guys in low A rookie ball feel like they can't come talk to me. You know, like I want to be here to help them out and and really for help them further their career. Cause it's not just about me. I mean, if they're gonna help the Marlins um um get better, if they're gonna somehow succeed because of they got different advice, you know, from from mm-hmm. different players who have who are playing currently. Then, um, then by all means, I'm not. I'm not here to to break everybody else's career down. I'm here to to help them and and guide them, or at least try to guide them in the right direction to success. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, it is great.
3: Uh, but I think we've talked enough about baseball. I want to move on. to. Yeah. <laughs> I want to move on to your, your big hobby, cuts by Yama, as a barber.
4: Yeah.
3: I mean, that's something that you're clearly passionate about, and that you're even doing during the season. Um, for people that don't follow you on on social media. Um, you're, you're pretty proud of what you've done with both your teammates and even with opposing players. Uh, can you explain to people you know, why you're passionate about cutting hair when you started doing it?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, I started doing it back in 2015. Um, it was just a thing that I grew up drawing. I grew up painting, sketching, mm-hmm. um, doing a lot of artistic stuff. So I said, why not? Why not try it? So I bought myself a couple of clippers and then um, tried, tried, tried on um, a couple teammates. And I mean, it wasn't bad. It wasn't great, but we have a lot of teammates where. Well, I'm lucky. We have a lot of teammates where they go, yeah, you know, we were at hats for a living, so why not let let you cut my hair? And then all of a sudden, like over the years, you just get better and better, you know. So because you don't know, have to fear that guys go oh, if you mess up, you know. No, they go, if you mess up, the hair grows back. So that's that's a good part about learning how to cut hair in a in a world of your your I guess your coworkers wear hats for a living. You know, so it's good. But um, definitely, I'm just trying to like, I was, like what I'm trying to do with, I guess, cutting hair is um, the big thing. Is is that it's hard to find barbers or places to cut hair mm-hmm. when when you move to all these different cities um, throughout the nation. So because you're not you're not used to, it. and a lot of guys want to have that confidence in their haircut and all that stuff. So me learning just really helped out my teammates. I mean, I'm just here to really make it more of a convenient thing for them because I know how it is. Um, like to not get paid all that much during the year. And then all of a sudden now haircuts are $30 or $40 eat, eat every two weeks, which is quite a bit for the minor league pay. So I'm mm-hmm. I doing more for, for just help, helping my teammates out, helping the minor leagues out um, on that grind. And, you know, like, so that's what I'm trying to do is um, build my platform of, of my haircutting page so that when I do visit different cities on, on the road, uh, I have the teammates um, or I have the players from the other team going, Hey, can I get a cut? You know, like, and, it's all for them. It's, it's it's just a convenience thing that I'm going to help them out with because, like I said, it sucks trying to find a barber. Like, for me personally, I have to do that myself now because um, I don't really know anybody who can cut my hair. So uh, I, I just rather have other people um, feeling good and, and and not really worrying about having to find places or having to pay the the outrageous prices for a haircut, you know. So it's one of the things, just, just trying to help out other people.
1: Jordan, you know there's a barbershop shop in Marlins Park, right? You're gonna take you can take over a chair there, man.
4: No, get the no, big uh, no, no, that's Juices' um, that's Juices' spot. So I, I've talked <laughs> to him like when I was in spring training. I don't bring my uh-huh. stuff around. That like that's like that's his job. Uh, I'm not going to take that from him, and I don't want to. Um, he is a great barber. I've I've stood in I've watched him cut hair before. It's it, it's 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 always fun to just watch that's somebody cool. who's been doing it for so long mm-hmm. um, cut hair. So it's one of those things that yeah, definitely not taking my my cutting stuff to to Marlon's <laughs> Park. It's it, it's yeah, <laughs> it's his. So
3: yeah, well, that's learning from the best. I mean, he's a guy that yeah, not I'm only sure. Marlins players go to, but yeah, it's the same thing. People come from around the league, even at the highest level, even when they can afford to go anywhere. I mean, he commands that kind of respect. So, I mean, he's the best guy to learn from, even if you're not going to compete yeah, against him. Yeah,
4: exactly. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. I, yeah, I don't want to be competing. I mean, I definitely stand and I learn. But like i was told guys, because some guys are like, hey, so what happens when you make the beat? Are you still going to cut? But it's kind of one of those things that I uh, I don't really know because I don't want to take myself into the bathroom and cut, you know, and then you walk in and it's just going to be kind of awkward. <laughs> so, but, I mean, I have guys who – um who definitely like or I've been cutting for years now. And it's not, I guess for them, I'll, I'll cut them. But for the guys that are Juice's clients, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to take them or anything. It's it's his clients. So pretty much the only guys I'll cut if I make it to, or when I make it to the big league, it's just going to be the guys like Esau and them where I've been cutting for years now, you, you know? know, so, so just that, yeah.
1: Jordan, you grew up in Hawaii and uh <clears throat> not, you know, we've had a couple guys on that haven't exactly come from baseball hotbeds. What was it like not, you know, not too many baseball influences around you and then, you know, uh
4: wh- where did that love for the game come from? Um it came from my dad. I mean, my family did not play baseball. Um my mm-hmm. dad was a brick rider. So I mean, he only played baseball in little league, but just getting me around the game while uh, Playing it year round from when I was 10 years old, it Mm -hmm. really made me love the game. And in Hawaii, you can play year round, you know, so it's one of those things Mm -hmm. that you just keep playing. And I never really played a different sport. Um, So I played basketball one year, wasn't really good at it. Played (laughs) soccer, made one goal in my own goal. So, I mean, (laughs) those sports weren't exactly the greatest Uh sports for me. So, stuck with baseball. And then over time, you know, you just, you kind of realize, wow, I should actually maybe do this, you know, and then you get, uh, the scouts come out and they give you the questionnaires when you're in, when when you're a junior in high school, whatever it is. And then you're like, wow, maybe I can actually do this, you know? And then mm-hmm. you just take it from there and you run with it. And, uh, you know, just fortunate enough that, that God allowed me to, to play the game and get drafted out of high school. So it's one of those things that, um, yeah, the love of the game just, just came from, from my dad and him, really pressing upon me to just be, be good at it and then do it with, with everything I got, you know, like that was his thing is that if you're going to do something, do it hundred percent and don't, yeah. and don't, you know, so I did and, and I'm still going to be doing that and, and just having fun with it.
3: Yeah. We're going to get you out here on a, a couple of final questions, but I, I know that over this past offseason, between the fall league, between major league spring training, um, you probably didn't get to spend as much time back home in Hawaii as you usually do during the off season. So, I mean, there's no place quite like it. Is there like, uh, were you, did you find yourself being homesick even as a guy that has been a pro now for what, five years? Uh, the fact that you had this kind of off season where you're mostly on the mainland, uh, did, uh, is, is there anything that you missed about it or um, anything that really compares to being in Hawaii?
4: Um. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, it's always nice to be home. It's always nice to be around your friends, um, your family. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it's your job and I chose to be like in Florida for the most of the off season after the fall league. I came back to Florida just because of um it's my job, you know, you know, and if I really want to be mm-hmm. a I'm going to have to be out here cause, um and and work with, with the trainers and the medical staff um in Jupiter and the, sure, the conditioning staff, you know, just, just to keep my arm healthy. Um, keep my body up to par to be able to throw 150, 160 innings the following year, you know. And um, I, I offseason, yeah. Gary Demo has told me, yeah, uh, we want you throwing this amount of innings. And in order to do that, I had to stay in Jupiter, you know. And my mom and my, mm-hmm. and my dad understood that. So it was one of those things that I understood too. And and now it's my life. So I got I got to stay out here in Florida for most off season because yeah, like like you guys said, I only went home for three weeks last off season kind of sucks because i don't get to spearfish because i don't get to do all this stuff with my family mm-hmm. and spend time with them but right. at the same time they understand that i'm trying to live out my dream and um pursue pursue it and become a big leaguer, you know so, so all yeah. right, and then
1: and then jordan one final question we've been asking everybody this because uh i think the minor league lifestyle is very interesting and some of the places you guys go and i've heard some crazy stories about it so Coming from, you know, coming from Hawaii, one of the most beautiful places in the world, and then having to play, I think you guys right now are in Mississippi or something. Give me something yeah. about either the worst place you've played or a bad experience <clears throat> or a time you were just like, wow, you know, this, I've made it, or this isn't, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore here with, you know, being in, you, you, you played in all kinds of crazy places in Milwaukee and then down here too, so. Give us a good story about the minor league lifestyle and something funny that you've experienced along the
4: way. Um, I mean, for me, a lot of people have asked me, especially my roommate, Um, he's doing mm-hmm. this perspective TV thing. But for you, he, he's always asking, like, what really stands out to, to mm-hmm. you in, in professional baseball? And, I mean, the meaning that stands out to me is, is, is crazy because it's not memories about the field. It's not memories about... Mm-hmm teammates or whatever it is it's just the places you've been and the people you meet you know like Mm -hmm. you go to like me I've been into 20 something different states in the past five years um it's crazy because you get to see all these different states all the different sceneries you get to meet all these different people from different towns and um Mm -hmm. that's the crazy part to me is being able to meet um different people especially like when I went to Wisconsin you know like you had you had fans who were genuine, who really came to the game and really got to know you for a person rather than just a oh. player or, you know, and Carolina where they do that same thing where they make where they make it known where they want to know you as a person and as a deeper, like, you know, as a human to human, not just a <laughs> um, an entertainment type of thing, you know? So it's really cool to meet some people like that. And I mean, that that's just the main memories is, is those things. I mean, um, I mean, there are the bus trips and, the road trips you go to where you go out and have fun with your friends. But for the most part, it's just meeting different people from different towns. I mean, it's yeah. crazy to see the different lifestyles and different backgrounds people come from um, that are so different than yours. And you just appreciate all, all the different things that, that they do and that they that they bring to, to this world. You know, it's actually really crazy to think about. That's cool. That's a different perspective than
1: we've gotten from, from some of the guys. Yeah. That's really cool, man.
4: Yes, definitely. I mean, a, a lot of guys do think of, they have their stories. I have my stories, but my stories mm-hmm. are for me um, to laugh about with with some of the guys. I don't like to yeah. let those things out. But at the same time, it's like some of the greatest story, like not really a story, mm-hmm. but some of the greatest things that happened to me in football is meeting the people from, you know, yeah. making friendships over a lifetime where I could sit back and then all of a sudden I'll get a text from from random people from um, different mm-hmm. cities I've been in and go, hey, man, I like, miss you, like, um, wishing, wishing can come back to Wisconsin or wish you can come back to Carolina, you know? It's one of those, it's those little things that you made an impact on their lives and they made an impact on yours to be like, to have that friendship um, o- over three years, you know? So it's actually it's it's so cool. really cool. Well, you
3: got some new experiences ahead of you, still can move up one more level to AAA and see all those Pacific Coast League cities and then, yeah, right after that in the majors, so you got plenty of exploring ahead of you and uh, people to to learn about. But this was really great, Jordan. I mean, yeah, I think Jordan provided a lot of insight and uh, yeah. for the rest of the season. And hopefully, we see you in Miami not too long from now. Uh, thanks for your time, Mahalo.
1: We appreciate you, man. Appreciate keep on, keep on, brother. Thank you for sure,
4: for sure. Thank you.
0: As we wrap up today's episode, another thank you to Jordan Yamamoto for joining us. You are awesome, and we all look forward to the day that we get to go to Marlins Park and see you take the mound. Next week, we have a special uh, draft coverage. We're still contemplating whether we want to do a live draft special while the draft is taking place on June 3rd or whether we're going to give you a review after it's done. But nonetheless, expect a lot of draft talk next week as the draft is taking place place. As always, thank you for joining us. I hope you all had a great Memorial Day weekend. Thank you for those of you who have made the sacrifices to protect us and go fish.